ETL Echo presents Quarterlife Crisis, an art and fic collaboration. Professional Courtesies by Hey Jude 19. Artwork by Mignonettes. January. Three minutes and 42 seconds into her first lesson, and Hermione felt ready to retire from teaching. No one, not one of you, did the assigned reading. Twenty blank faces stared back at her in the cold morning sunlight. After a few excruciatingly silent moments, a hand lifted into the air. Yes, Mr Thorpe. Begging your pardon, miss, but this isn't usually how lessons went with Professor Hagrid. Well, as you know, I'm filling in for Professor Hagrid, and while our teaching styles may differ, yes, Miss Cartwright. How long are you filling in for, then? For the remainder of the term. A rush of whispers broke out amongst the gathered students, third-year Gryffindors and Slytherins, before Hermione cleared her throat loudly. If you could, um, all settle down, please. She checked her watch. Fifty-five minutes left, and she had no idea how to proceed. This was meant to be an introductory lesson, a text review with a question-and-answer session so she could award house points. Did you all at least bring your textbooks? Good. Let's open the chapter on crops, and we'll begin to, uh, read aloud. Mr Lang, if you could start us off. The kids exchanged raised eyebrows and curious looks, as if to say, this is the famous Hermione Granger, but otherwise kept quiet as their classmate began the dry introductory chapter. Hermione ignored the growing unease in her stomach, signifying she might have gotten in over her head. It was only first-day jitters, she reasoned, and surely her two later lessons would improve. Bolstered by the hope, she called on the next student to continue reading. How hard could teaching really be? Hermione trudged up to the castle for lunch in low spirits. After the disastrous first lesson with the Gryffindor's Slytherin third years, things had only devolved further. The fourth-year Ravenclaw Hufflepuffs were only slightly better at hiding their disdain for a book-only Thestral lesson but pressed Hermione for details on future lessons immediately, for which she only had bumbling, vague answers. The NEWT-level students hadn't attempted to hide their shock, and Hermione didn't have the gall to demand they read aloud, which resulted in an excruciating, silent hour as they all read to themselves. Clearly, she needed to rearrange her entire curriculum as soon as possible. Maybe she could introduce the hands-on portion sooner than eight weeks? but then how would that give students the best chance to understand all the feeding and grooming information? It didn't make any sense. Hermione had always loved reading her textbooks to be the utmost preparedness level before approaching the practical application. It was safest, especially for a subject like Care of Magical Creatures. Reaching the staff table, Hermione met Neville's enthusiastic wave with a tepid smile and slid into the seat next to him. First morning, eh? How'd you get on? He asked. There's no wine at the staff table until dinner, right? That bad? Hermione groaned in response and pulled a plate towards her. Neville patted her arm in sympathy, then tucked into his own meal. She looked out over the sea of chattering students, happy, healthy and vibrantly alive. No impending doom hung over their heads. Twelve years gone since the war, and for most of these children, their youth protected them from remembering much of Voldemort's terror. Hermione set down her fork and turned to Neville. You've taught for a few years now. Was I naive to think I'd have an immediate impact? I'd hoped at the very least. The chair on Neville's other side scraped against the stone as it was pulled out. 
Upon seeing the staff member joining them, Hermione's lips clamped shut. Professor Longbottom? Professor Granger? Professor Malfoy? Hermione matched his stiff politeness. Hey, Draco, you were saying, Hermione? Nothing, never mind. Neville frowned, but blessedly dropped the subject. He turned to Malfoy and struck up a conversation on Snargluff pods. Neville might have vouched for him, and he'd obviously earned Headmistress McGonagall's trust, but no way was Hermione divulging her personal insecurities in Malfoy's presence. Thus far, they'd only exchanged a cordial handshake when she joined the staff after the Christmas break, and a few banal pleasantries when meetings or meals called for them to converse. She planned to carry on her temporary teaching career with surface-level interactions, and he seemed content to do the same. A third-year Gryffindor approached the table then, stalking right up to Malfoy. Excuse me, Professor? Yes, Mr. Thorpe? Sorry to interrupt lunch, sir, but I was thinking about our next Cauldron Club meeting and... He shoved a text right into Malfoy's face. See this cure for boils here? I know it calls for crushed porcupine quills, but... He flipped to another page. If you sub in small mammal whiskers and increased the dried nettles, you'd save several galleons and reduce the brew time from 90 minutes to 75 minutes. See? It's good, yeah? In theory, Malfoy said, eyes roving the text. You would also have to account for a reduced potion thickness. Have you thought about how that would affect potency and dosage? The boy took the book back and frowned. Could we try it at Cauldron Club this week? An excellent suggestion. I look forward to seeing your attempt, Mr. Thorpe. Cheers, Professor. The boy grinned and then rushed back to his seat at the Gryffindor table. Hermione had at least twelve different questions about the interaction, but only one made it past her lips. What's Cauldron Club? Malfoy seemed surprised that she'd addressed him, pale eyebrows twitching upward. Extracurricular potions for students interested in experimental brewing. Oh, that's wonderful. All Malfoy's idea, too, chimed in Neville. The kids love it. Lovely, Hermione said, clipped. She picked at the rest of her lunch, wondering what alternate universe she'd entered, where Draco Malfoy was beloved by the students while she floundered. February. Hermione rubbed her hands together in the morning air, trying to decide if she should double back for gloves. February had brought a damp chill that seeped through even the thickest outerwear, and inspired longing thoughts of firesides and hot beverages. Despite the dreary weather, Hermione cast warming charms on each palm and strode out the castle's front doors. The frosted grounds greeted her, silent, still, and preserved under a sheen of snow and ice. From above, she imagined she looked like a figurine inside a snow globe, a tiny dot overshadowed by a castle and dense adjoining forest. There was peace to be had in this hour of solitude, Perhaps a bit of loneliness too, but Hermione could delight in the natural beauty surrounding Hogwarts. Nothing kept her from her morning walk, not when a fresh day always greeted her like a promise, that she could take this new life by the reins and bend it to her will. Alas, more than a month into her abrupt career change, and Hermione had yet to truly connect with either the position or the children. Of all the ways Hermione envisioned teaching, failing at it had not been one. Her struggle made no sense. She had excelled at this subject while in school, and then made her ministry career debut in the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, the department from which she never left, never saw a promotion, hit barrier after barrier from obstinate Wisengamot members to superiors uninterested in the rights of non-human beings. 
a war heroine turned into nothing more than a glorified paper pusher. And now that bureaucratic burnout had led here, assuming Hagrid's teaching duties while he recovered from a nasty bout of black cat flu in coastal France. Hermione pulled his latest letter from her pocket. Hagrid was well, he'd written. Grawp was apparently enchanted by the sea and delighted in swimming. The image of Hagrid's giant brother splashing about the waves and disturbing all manner of marine life brought a smile to her face. But shame immediately dashed her happiness for Hagrid's recovery. She'd promised him she'd be all right taking this on, and with an entire month under her belt, she'd yet to make any real headway with students. They showed up listlessly, prepared for another dull lecture on creatures they had yet to even see. At least no one had started acting up or disrupting her attempts at teaching. Oh God, was she as irrelevant as Professor Binns? Her classes deemed so useless that they weren't even worth the effort of pranks? Neville's voice rang through her head again. Ask him. I'm telling you, Hermione, you wouldn't regret it. Why won't you give me advice? Neville shook his head. I've not got the teaching style you're after. The children adore you. Are you after adoration? You want your classes to be popular? No, I... I just want the students to feel as if they've at least learned something worthwhile, and also not hex themselves in the face from boredom. Talk to Draco, then. What have you got to lose? Easy for him to say, Hermione thought bitterly, seeing as he was awfully chummy with Malfoy. After another half hour of breathing in the chilly air and tending to all the animals in her care, Hermione decided she would take Neville's advice. But she'd do it her way. Her opportunity arrived a week later on the back of a nasty snow squall. Hermione cancelled her lessons, with a glum thought about how the students were probably grateful to not endure her lectures. But her morning would not go to waste. She ate at top speed, then said a rushed goodbye to Neville, with a loud parting remark about catching up on lesson planning. Then she booked it down to the dungeons, knowing Malfoy was still safely in the great hall finishing his breakfast. Casting a disillusionment charm over herself, Hermione stood with her back pressed against the wall behind the last row of cauldrons. From here, she'd have a clear view of the front, and should Malfoy wander back here, she could hear his interactions with students. Right as she'd settled, the dungeon door swung open, causing Hermione to jump and hold her breath. But Malfoy only paused momentarily at the threshold, then swept to his desk. Usually, she avoided looking in his direction for fear of having to engage with him but now she could look all she liked. He dressed in his usual black, buttoned-up robes, plain as any other professor here. She watched him read through some parchment, a little crease forming between his eyes, blonde hair falling over his forehead. He appeared completely at ease, at home in his classroom. Quite the detour, she imagined, for someone as wealthy as a Malfoy heir, to sink so low as to seek employment, let alone a post at his former school. She wondered if it bothered him at all, if he had memories trailing after him in these dungeons, following him through corridors, keeping him awake at night. He stood suddenly, pulling her from her reverie. With an elegant flourish, he waved his wand over the student stations, ensuring ingredients and tools appeared beside each pair of cauldrons. Children eventually streamed inside, in chattering twos and threes, and soon all were settled and ready to learn. Good morning, class. Good morning, Professor. Today, we're going to be cutting different types of roots. He held up one for all to see. Who can tell me what this is? 
several hands shot up. Malfoy pointed to a girl in the second row. Daisy Root, sir. Correct. Five points to Ravenclaw. These need to be sliced to almost exactly identical lengths. Who can tell me why consistency is important? He called on a Hufflepuff this time and awarded another five points. Hermione watched, bewildered, fascinated, as Malfoy received answers for every single question he asked. Then, he explained the potion they were preparing and demonstrated how to slice everything for the optimal outcome. It was the perfect lesson for first years, introducing them to a new ingredient, showing them how to prepare it, explaining how it either interacted with or counteracted other components to create the desired results. They didn't even brew that day, prepared all their ingredients for the following lesson, storing everything away for next time. There was none of that patronising terror from Snape's classes, with students squinting to read minuscule instructions on the blackboard and hustling to brew before insults rained upon them. Hermione almost wept with jealousy during the next lesson. The fifth years, with OWLs fast approaching, were treated to the type of potions hour she would have killed for during her school days. The class gathered around a central cauldron and watched Malfoy brew a blood-replenishing potion. He shrugged off his outer robes and now, in his shirt sleeves and waistcoat, grabbed a stirring rod. Hermione shuffled a little to the side, minding her camouflaged form, eager to see his technique. Pay close attention today, as your practical exam next week will feature a similar brewing style. He directed student pairs to perform each step for him, to chop, slice or juice different ingredients, and assist by tipping them into his cauldron as he stirred. At each point, he'd stop and describe how the potion would progress, what students could expect to see, hear, or smell. Where did Malfoy get off being so competent at this? Trying not to perish from envy, Hermione wondered if he could sustain this level of student interest for a third lesson. Surely not every class would be this well-behaved, this eager to follow his instruction? Alas, Malfoy's lesson for his third-year Gryffindors and Slytherins had such a fun, creative twist that Hermione's hands itched to set up her own cauldron and join. He instructed the students to pick one of four simple potions written on the blackboard and brew them based on their text's recipe. However, they must either introduce a new ingredient or substitute for another to improve the taste. I'll be sampling these at the end of next lesson, so please, I beg you, no poisoning your professor. It certainly won't help your grade. He said, all dry and affable, and when the class chuckled, Hermione wanted to bang her head against the stone walls. Malfoy walked amongst the pairs, either nodding or stopping to patiently answer questions. Hermione hated him. She hated him for being so disgustingly good at his job. How was she supposed to look into that pale, pointy face and confess she needed his help? She spared a bit of thought for Neville, too, for setting her up to be utterly embarrassed by Malfoy. Deciding she'd seen quite enough, she debated how best to inch out of the classroom when Malfoy approached the last bench near the back. Hermione recognised the Gryffindor boy from lunch the other day, the one fit to bursting with excitement at discussing extracurricular brewing. Jeremy thought, she recalled, and the girl at his side was Cassie Cartwright. How are you getting on today, Mr Thorpe? Malfoy asked. Fine, the boy said, back stiffening. You haven't been at the last few Cauldron Club meetings, Malfoy said. Is there something you... Just busy, lots of homework, said Jeremy, head bent over his book, avoiding Malfoy's questioning gaze. 
Malfoy deflated, looking perturbed at the brush-off. Well, if you find time in your schedule tomorrow night, we were hoping to finally attempt the suggestion you made weeks ago. Don't think I can, sir, the boy said without looking up. Cassie's eyes flicked between professor and student, lips pursed. I... I understand, Malfoy said softly and then moved along. When he was out of their earshot, Cassie elbowed Jeremy. You're really not going to do the club anymore? Don't feel like it. Liar! You miss it. I can't believe you're letting what those idiots say affect how you... Leave it, Cass. You're letting a few arseholes ruin something fun for you. Professor Malfoy's all right. Don't know why you won't listen to me. Because you're pure blood, aren't you? You wouldn't get it, Jeremy said. Frozen in piqued curiosity, Hermione remained in her place for the lesson, resigning to leave once the lunch bell rang. Breathing a sigh of relief as the class left, Hermione silently congratulated herself on a successful reconnaissance mission. She'd wait for Malfoy to go, count to a hundred, then slip out. Malfoy waved his wand over the worktops, performing an impressive series of stasis and cleaning charms, then extinguished the lanterns. As he drew level with her, he paused, then, quick as a flash, whipped his wand in her general direction. Finite. Hermione blinked in shocked mortification as he undid her spellwork. Did you enjoy the lessons, Granger? Gone was the endearingly capable professor, the distantly courteous peer. She'd almost forgotten how Draco Malfoy's face could twist into a sneer. How, how, how did you know I was here? An educated guess, based on how you scuttled off early from breakfast this morning. Nor are you as quiet as you believe yourself to be. I also have this room warded to the teeth in case of ingredient theft. Pity it doesn't prevent a fellow professor from harassing me. It's not harassment, I was simply observing. Malfoy's lip curled. If you want to officially observe my lessons, you are required to give me two weeks prior notice. Don't tell me you haven't read the Code of Conduct for Hogwarts professors. I have read it, thank you very much. I don't see why you're making such a fuss. A fuss? He echoed, voice low. Shall we bring this to the headmistress and see what she thinks of your behaviour? Hermione blanched. That's hardly necessary... I apologise. If you must know, I wanted to see you teach because I'm struggling to connect with the students and I think I'm approaching it all wrong. If anything, you should be flattered. She probably should have foregone the provocation, but admitting vulnerability allowed to someone well-practised at mockery had her defence mechanisms preloaded. The anticipated jeers never came. He regarded her silently, a man weighing his options and deliberating the appropriate punishment. You know... Longbottom told me not to tell you I knew, but given the circumstances, he said you'd be asking me for tips. He also warned me off lording this over you, and I would have, gladly, done as he asked because I value professional courtesy, but now I want something in return. What? You walk every morning around the grounds, don't you? Yes, how did you... I'll join you then. See you tomorrow, Granger. After a sleepless night, Hermione found Malfoy waiting for her in the entrance hall. Shall we? He drawled, gesturing outdoors. Hermione scowled and brushed past him into the cold morning air. Malfoy and his infuriatingly long legs caught up to her easily, falling into step right beside her. 
I thought you might use this opportunity to ask me questions out of earshot of other professors and the headmistress. He said, pleasant as anything. Kind of you, she said through gritted teeth. Have you a copy of your upcoming lesson plans? No. For someone so desperate for my help, you're woefully unprepared. Hermione didn't know which would kill her first, his smugness or her dread at what his help might cost her. What would Malfoy demand in exchange for his silence on her professional gaffe? Perhaps you ought to return inside, since it seems this will be a waste of your time, Hermione offered. How charitable of you. But you know, now that I'm out in the freezing air, I find I fancy a walk. He pumped his arms vigorously, and Hermione rolled her eyes. If it's all the same to you, I'm going to read through some post. He frowned at her bare hands. Where on earth are your gloves? Warming charms are more than adequate. Hermione smoothed out a letter from Ron. In a messy scrawl, he confessed his fear of prematurely divulging his impending child's name to the family. Mum's going to get it out of me. Then Padma will kill me. Spare some pity for an old friend. I'm beset on all sides. Hermione couldn't help but smile, eagerly awaiting another owl that might bear the happy birth news of Ron and Padma's daughter. What's got Weaselby all frantic? I said you could walk with me. I never said you could read my private letters. Hermione waited for the mean-spirited question. When none came, she threw out, Padma's expecting a baby, due any day. He's terrified, as all. Ah. They rounded the lake together, Malfoy as silent as the frozen waters. Any moment now, she thought, any moment he'd toss her, Bet you wish that was you, eh, Granger? Still pining for the ginger knob? Her way. When he didn't, Hermione's spiralling self-doubt managed to tear her down in his stead. She was long past any romantic feelings for Ron, but she couldn't deny the jealous twinge when thinking of both him and Harry. They were both so... settled. Secure in their adult lives, careers, spouses, children. Success had always been Hermione's favourite and most fulfilling companion. But with that now eluding her, what did she have to show for it? Cannot for your thoughts, Malfoy said, startling her. Oh, just thinking through the morning tasks. You can head back if you like. Malfoy only shrugged. I've come this far. Hermione pretended she didn't have a tall, black-clad shadow following her as she set out food for the Thestral herd. Hagrid had built a makeshift stable at the forest's edge coaxing some into shelter on the colder days. She ran through the rest of her duties on autopilot, replenished the crop's bowls, scattered chicken feed, and recast charms on the fruper eggs in Hagrid's hut. She pasted a smile on her face as they doubled back to the castle, and greeted waves of students on their way to breakfast. They received several curious glances, and she knew they must make for an intriguing sight. Pink-cheeked from the cold, standing closer together than usual. At the staff table, Malfoy pulled out Hermione's chair, then sat beside her. His as-of-yet unvoiced repayment loomed large, however, casting dread over what had turned out to be a surprisingly tolerable morning. Hermione wondered if Malfoy would bother to show the following day, but there he stood, awaiting her by the oak doors. Good morning. Morning, here. She shoved parchment into his leather gloves. Sample lesson plans. It's February, he said, with a pointed glance at her hands. Hermione shrugged and shoved them into her cloak pockets. 
they strolled along Hermione's usual route, Malfoy perusing her lessons as she fought the inclination to chew her fingernails while awaiting the verdict. Why did you take this post? He asked, grey eyes scanning her pages. Last I'd heard, you were steadily climbing the ministry ladder. Thought I'd be casting my vote for you as minister in a year or two. I'd have your vote? You're deflecting. Hagrid asked if I'd do him this favour and I couldn't say no. Interesting. Did you know your voice gets half an octave higher when you lie? It does not, she said shrilly. He smirked, but Hermione only found it needling rather than brutish. Fine. When Hagrid fell ill, Harry and I thought it would best if he had a nice long recovery. Minerva had trouble securing an alternative, so I... I practically begged her to let me try. I promised her I'd be up to the task despite having zero teaching experience, and... Well, it appears her initial reticence was correct. I'm pants at this. I'd quit right now if I wouldn't be letting everyone down. And you think I can help you? Yes, what am I doing wrong? As I've never hidden in the back of your lessons, I cannot say for certain. These are thorough. He handed her parchment back. But they tell me nothing about how you convey information to the students. Describe a typical lesson for me. The students arrive, I take role, we review the latest chapter they've read. That's it. I'm working up to more. Your teaching care of magical creatures, Granger. At some point they need to at least see one. Hermione sighed. You're right, I suppose. I think I so desperately wanted to avoid any blast-ended scrute situations that I've swung too far in the other direction. Malfoy shuddered. Merlin knows with stuff of nightmares. Hermione indulged in a chuckle as a wry smile graced his lips. You were wrong, by the way, she said. What you'd heard about my ministry career isn't true. I've been about as successful there as I have been as a professor. I've never known you to be so defeatist. Where's that annoyingly plucky swat who used to barrel down corridors flinging pamphlets on elf rights into unsuspecting crowds? Turns out, like my fellow students, my ministry colleagues also couldn't care less about elves, or centaurs, or giants, mermaids, or anything other than wizards. So you're giving up? No, I'm... regrouping. A change of scenery while I figure out how to proceed from here. Ah, so this is a temporary situation for you. You imagined swanning in here, a celebrated alumnus, rediscovering yourself and using this as a growth opportunity to enhance your personal aspirations. Something had shifted in his tone, all friendliness abandoned. That's not fair. I agree. Students shouldn't be fodder for your self-improvement journey. You all want to talk? He stopped short as a silence, ugly and long, festered between them. Infinite, harsh, unsaid things languished there, in a moment suspended by past animosity and left wide like a rotting, untended wound. Neither took the initiative to heal it. Enjoy the rest of your walk, Professor. He turned towards the castle. A word of advice. Perhaps you should examine your motivations before you think about your methods. Good day. Hermione watched his retreating form and mentally filed, making friends with colleagues, into her failure column. Hermione thought herself rid of Malfoy's company after yesterday's disagreeable turn. 
Yet, when she found him in the entrance hall the following morning, she let out a relieved exhale. Wait here, she blurted before he could say another word, and ran back to her room. She returned with a book and handed it to him. For you, it's an account of rare ingredients used in 19th century potioneering, before they drafted the official ministry guidelines. I hope you haven't already read it. I haven't. Thank you. It's also an apology for how I spoke to you yesterday. He inclined his head in acknowledgement, leaving Hermione to guess if that meant he accepted. He walked by her side as if he did. They embarked on her usual route towards then around the lake. Malfoy followed her lead, stopping with her at the water's edge. You were right, she admitted. I've only been thinking of teaching as a stopgap, but it was difficult to hear because... Because it came from me. I've only known you to be cruel. He didn't appear insulted or pained by her statement, just nodded again. They didn't speak of her lessons, they didn't speak at all. He simply accompanied her as she went through her morning care duties and then returned for breakfast. The next morning, they exchanged greetings then set off together. Not a minute had passed before Draco scoffed and pulled off his gloves. For Merlin's sake, put these on. Hermione swallowed a laugh and accepted them, lest he become more cross. The leather was buttery soft, and she found herself sad to part with them when they returned to the Great Hall. As she handed them back and thanked Malfoy, a few second years stared, then giggled, and whispered amongst themselves. Malfoy only rolled his eyes behind their backs, but Hermione felt a blush colouring her cheeks. Hermione thought the following day might finally be the day Malfoy asked her for his owed favour. While he did want to talk more, it had nothing to do with her lessons. Beneath the rainy sky and staring out over the misty lake waters, Malfoy offered an apology. He delivered it in a soft voice, and Hermione couldn't look at him. It took some time, his official recounting of previous vile behaviour towards her, and left her quite devoid of words. You don't have to say anything, he said, correctly interpreting her contemplative silence. I... I wouldn't know where to begin. I... appreciate knowing you're capable of remorse. Perhaps it seems like I'm hiding out in a beautiful remote castle, but I assure you I have not forgotten. You are a glaring reminder of everything I was, but you are not the only reminder, especially here. You seem to enjoy teaching. I do. He hesitated. You might not think I deserve to find peace. It's certainly not fair that I found my purpose, and you haven't. I don't begrudge your happiness, Malfoy, just because mine's eluded me. They moved along the stables, Hermione feeling at once off-kilter and strangely calm. Once she'd finished checking each stool and either setting out food or replenishing straw, she found Malfoy nudging an apple towards Fole with his foot. I've had an idea about your classes. What you're doing, right now, with me. Malfoy gestured to the Thestrals. This is all you need, Granger. Take the students round like this. Narrate as you go. Don't be afraid to let them take over some of the simple stuff. They're tougher than you think. The foal sniffed the apple twice, then gave an experimental nibble. It's not easy. Teaching. Malfoy said. You've just not got your head round it yet. The children need sincerity, 
If you don't think your lessons matter, why should they? Hermione let his words sink in, watching the little Thestral snort happily as it took a bigger bite and flapped its growing wings in appreciation. March From the outside, their morning routine appeared much the same. They met, they walked, they talked, then saw the students into the great hall together and took their seats at the staff table. Along with the changing weather, different elements entered their conversations in stages. Natural human connection milestones they each introduced and nurtured daily. Banter and light teasing was an easy progression with the approaching Quidditch match between Gryffindor and Slytherin. They sat beside one another at the match, alternately cursing or cheering their former houses in their pursuit of victory. When Gryffindor won, Malfoy spent the following three days detailing all the ways Slytherin could have changed the outcome. The Thestrals were more interested in his theories than Hermione. Personal curiosity occurred too, with questions about their lives outside of the castle walls. What do your parents think about you teaching? Hermione asked one Monday. My mother is bewildered but accepting. My father goes temporarily deaf whenever the topic comes up. He gestured at her letters. Weasley writing for more advice. Whinging, more like. I've told him if he's too proud to ask Molly for parenting tips, just owl Harry. He's got three kids under five. That's equal part horrifying and hilarious. Behave. Never. Staff gossip couldn't be avoided with all the time spent together, either. Binns is furious, Malfoy divulged on a Friday with a smirk. Minerva's summoned him for a performance review. He's aghast that tenure doesn't apply post-mortem. About time, don't you think? It's been, what, 14 decades? Personal triumphs on Hermione's end were met with encouraging nods as opposed to gloating. She'd recall how the NEWT students reacted to the first Fruper hatching, the decent marks from the OWL group, and how several students had stayed behind to ask follow-up questions about Nifflers. She'd clawed her way to that balance of interesting lessons that didn't end in any injuries. Except for the occasional, very good Granger, Malfoy no longer commented on her teaching unless asked. It struck Hermione how closely her professional career mirrored her first year as a Hogwarts student. Lonely and challenging, until made tolerable by the acquisition of a friend. April. For the first time in weeks, Hermione had a rare morning to herself. Malfoy stayed behind to oversee an incoming potion supply shipment, promising to catch up if he could. She wandered down to the Krupp enclosure, releasing them from their kennels, when she saw a Gryffindor student walking across the grounds. Hermione went about her duties, remembering how she'd often taken solo strolls when Harry and Ron fancied a weekend lion. By the time she'd started her stable cleaning regimen, though, Jeremy Thorpe shuffled into view, winding his hands around his red and gold scarf. Morning, Professor. How can I help you, Mr Thorpe? He looked nervously around, and Hermione knew he couldn't see the Thestrals. I was wondering, Professor, if, um, you're muggle-born. I am. Me too. Hermione set down the feed bucket and gave him her full attention. It's a big change, isn't it? Discovering magic and all you can do? Jeremy only nodded. What's your favourite subject? She prompted. I promise I won't be offended if it's not mine. Potions. What do you like about potions? It's the closest thing to science, if you think about it. It's almost muggle. 
Obviously, we're working with magical ingredients and sometimes we need our wands, but there's so much you can do and create and it's... He broke off with a guilty smile and Hermione held in a chuckle. Jeremy's face turned serious. Do you like Professor Malfoy? Professor Malfoy and I are colleagues. Oh, I didn't mean... Sorry, it's just you're together a lot. I meant to ask if you were friends. We are. But you weren't always, isn't that right? Taken aback by the turning conversation, Hermione's mouth opened and closed as she unsuccessfully hid her surprise. Sorry, said Jeremy, but, well, you have a chocolate frog card, and I've read up on uh, the war and what you did with Harry Potter and Ron Weasley, but I also... I hadn't realised about Professor Malfoy until recently. What hadn't you realised? That he... he fought in the war too, for... for the other side. May I ask where you came across this information? One of the six years said something about him, Professor Malfoy, having a tattoo on his arm, and I didn't know what he meant, so I went to the library and read up on Death Eaters and what they stood for and the Dark Mark, and... Jeremy cut off, breathing hard. Out of the corner of her eye, Hermione saw a flicker of movement at the stable opening. He doesn't still believe in those things, does he? Have you asked him yourself? Jeremy shook his head. Hermione's mouth set in a grim line. I'm not going to excuse Professor Malfoy's past. What I would ask you to consider is, how has Professor Malfoy treated you in his class? Good. He wound and unwound his scarf a few more times. I didn't much like it here in first year. I would hang about the dungeons to brew extra and he found me and started setting some extracurricular work. He let me use his office flu to chat with my dad, helped him get our sitting room connected to the network and everything. That sounds very kind. Yeah. He bent down and picked up a fallen apple. Hermione guided him over to one of the foals, demonstrating how to offer it. Jeremy grinned when the apple was suddenly lifted from his hand and crunched by an invisible creature. So he doesn't think I'm, you know, less. I think you're better off hearing that straight from him. I find it's always best to form impressions of people based on my own experiences with them. Hermione raised her voice slightly. If it helps, I don't think he'll disappoint you. Face set, Jeremy turned back to the castle. Thank you, Professor. Once he'd left, Hermione rounded the corner to have her guess proven correct. Malfoy leaned against the wall, head tipped back on the wood. How much of that did you overhear? Malfoy closed his eyes. It happens every few terms. Some students discover why my surname is so notorious. It spreads round the younger classes, and I have to explain how I was a fanatical little idiot, lest a good portion of children think I want to exterminate them. Draco... Don't. What you said was more generous than I deserve. You should speak with Jeremy directly. He clearly admires you. Why do you care? He said it listlessly. The lack of passion only stoked hers. Because you do. She lowered her voice with a guilty look at the Thestrals. Because you care. You care for your subject and your colleagues and for muggle-born students who look up to you. You care so much that you orchestrated this great show of public camaraderie to prove a point to your favourite student. Draco's head jerked up, eyes wide and guilty, confirming her suspicion. It's all right, Hermione said. It wasn't all for show. Clever, though. 
Have the students witness our budding friendship and let their gossip take care of the rest? It stung a little, knowing his initial motive, dredging up old insecurities surrounding her friendships or lack thereof. Draco's mouth turned down in contrition. Have I been awfully imposing? No, it was... nothing I wasn't willing to give. He pushed off the stable wall and approached her. I like this. What? Being the beneficiary of your kindness. One heartbeat thumped, then another, then the third skipped altogether. He took her hand in his, frowning at it. Why can't you ever remember your gloves? The wind picked up as if it also wanted to scold her. Some flowering trees planted by Neville swayed, branches shedding their early buds. The name escaped her now, with Draco Malfoy holding her hand and little pink and white blossoms raining across the grounds behind him. With these tumbling, whirling heralds of spring as his backdrop, Draco lifted her hand and kissed it. He turned and walked back to the castle, and Hermione accidentally double-fedged the Thestral Folds. May. Hermione's curiosity led her down to the dungeons one evening. Keeping her steps as quiet as possible, she walked past Draco's classroom, fully aware that it was Cauldron Club night. When she spotted Jeremy stirring in deep concentration, she smiled all the way back to her quarters, even if part of her felt a pang of loss. No need for Draco to meet her in the mornings anymore. She'd served her purpose, favour repaid. But when Hermione found him waiting in the entrance hall per usual, black-clad, lean, unmissable and bright, something within swelled to a previously unreachable crescendo. His hand kiss had altered the dynamic. Morning still featured conversations, professional and personal, but more often than not, proximity diminished between them. Draco knew how to be careful. She'd seen him deftly brew delicate, dangerous potions. A potioner's touch needed to be precise and deliberate, lest he risk injury or waste. Which meant that every brush of his fingers, every fleeting touch was calculated on his part. He premeditated their thighs pressing together beneath the dinner table. Draco intended to skate his hand along her nape when helping her into her cloak. Removing straw from her hair featured a willful stroking of her curls. And he absolutely knew how to wield his words. What will you do when term finishes? He asked one morning. I'm not sure, to be honest. Minerva said I could stay on, but we'll see if I'm still wanted once the exam scores come back. Granger, Draco said. You are very much wanted. June. When a knock sounded on her door, Hermione's mind reflexively categorised the late hour as indecent, which was a silly way to think about time. Because indecency actually stood on the other side of her door. Looking wicked in the candlelight, despite his buttoned-up attire, Draco greeted her with a mouth turned up at one corner and a book clutched in his hand. Thought I'd return your copy of Wenlock's translation. Hermione stepped back as he stepped forward. He shut the door behind him, and for each move back, Draco advanced towards her. She ran out of room eventually, her lower back bumping against her desk. You could have given this to me in the morning, she said. I could have. Yes. Draco slid the book around her and onto the desk. His other palm came to rest there too, 
and Hermione found herself in the compromising position she dreamed of for weeks. I'm sure the code of conduct for professors has something against this, Hermione said, eyes darting from his arms caging her to their almost touching chests, and finally to his lips. To be honest, I wouldn't know. Draco leaned down. I've never read them. His lips prevented any retort once the realisation hit. Ever since that brushing kiss in the stables, she'd anticipated this escalation. Hermione had imagined how his mouth would feel, how, with no more than a light press, it would render her weak-kneed and pliant. It would begin with a faint touch, bodies meeting in a polite introduction before gradually building to more. That fantasised cautiousness was nowhere to be found. Draco did not kiss her with all the tender caress of a pleasant spring breeze, with petal-soft lips and careful fingers. A greedy and bruising mouth met hers, and Hermione thought, there you are. Changed, to be sure, but there still remained the Draco Malfoy who wanted, who delighted in satisfying his cravings. Finesse had no place here, not when they could hurriedly indulge in desperate grabs of shoulders, waists, hair. Their voracious kisses never slowed, not even as her hands flew to his many buttons or his fingers tugged on her curls. Layers fell away, skin pressed against skin, and when Draco pulled her towards the bed, Hermione let him. Soft sheets and harsh breaths, quick bites followed by soothing licks. Draco touched her, held her, kissed her, as if each part of their coupling would appear on the most important practical exam of his life. Hermione, the ever-eager learner, left no bit of him unconsumed, conducting a thorough exploration. The dizzying pace left no room for uncertainty, not when Hermione could sink against her mattress and allow herself to be devoured. Much like the pre-summer air outside, Hermione felt hazy, occluded by desire, and Draco obliterated any guilt by stroking between her thighs. They slid against one another, with a comical, simultaneously murmured, Please. Please. They laced their fingers together above Hermione's head. She closed her eyes when he entered her, only opening them again once he moved. His dragging hips revealed his yearning. Fiery gaze divulged his aching, squeezing hands as good as a confession that it was all for her. Draco openly pined, and his overt admiration sent her tumbling into a breath-stealing climax. Draco, slack-jawed and covetous, watched her come, his pace briefly faltering until she finished. You're... Granger, you're... Come here, Hermione said, pulling him close. He swore against her hair, then buried his face in her neck. You're exquisite. Fuck, I'm going to... Hermione held him throughout, then combed through his hair as he regained breath. When Draco rolled off her, gathered her to his chest, she went without protest, sated and pliable. Draco tugged a curl and declared, You're going to stay. She turned in his arms and smiled. I think I am. Hermione revelled in the peace found in all of it, in the way Hogwarts still welcomed her in the way her students participated in lessons, in the changing seasons, each bringing their individual beauty to the grounds, and in the way Draco tasted, in mornings spent idly strolling, 
in meals with stimulating conversation, and evenings that could now be filled with embraces. Thinking of home and purpose and happiness, Hermione pressed her lips to Draco's skin. Thank you for listening to this recording of Professional Courtesies by Hey Jude 19. ETL Echo, echoing tales of enemies to lovers.